Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. I don't know about you, but can I just ask a general question? How many of you would say, at times, life can be difficult? I mean, just in general. I know for some of us, it's like, no, not, not in my life, not in my world, not in my house. But for the majority of us, we would all say, you know, life can be difficult. You know, you know, even without COVID, life was difficult. Struggles were there, right? We don't have the money that we would really want or need to do some of the things that we desire to do. Some of us are chasing children that we raise to the very best of our ability. We can't seem to get a hold of them. There are just a plethora of reasons of, of to why we would say, man, life has been difficult as of lately. There truly are some struggles um, in this life. And in, in the world that we live in is becoming increasingly more dangerous it's becoming more selfish. Certainly, the world that we live in is becoming more divided. And if you are a follower of Christ, and we know that in every one of our Sunday morning uh, services that we have people among us who are not followers of Christ, and we're so thankful that you're here, and we're happy to welcome you into uh, the conversation. But if you are a follower of Christ, well, that in itself has brought about some more tension, right? There are moments where you feel this tension, whether it be with your family or at your place of work or just out in society on different subjects and different matters. There's a tension that comes um, with that. We have this understanding that when you give your life to Jesus, like everything will be better. Do you remember that when the preacher convinced you to give your life to Jesus and the moment you do, everything in your life will become better? So you did, and then you realized things did not get better. Some have even said, oh, that's when things started to really begin to surface in my life and I had to deal with um, some things. And now you feel like a fish swimming upstream in a powerful river, right? That's how life can be. Um, for some of us. So really, I think the question that we're asking today is, what's so great about being a Christian? Have you ever wondered what's so great about, maybe, maybe the better way to answer, to ask that question is, why is it worth it? Why is it worth being a Christian with all the struggle that comes with that, with all the tension that that can bring into your life? Why is it worth being a Christian. Let's consider a few people. James, the half-brother of Jesus. You know that he wasn't serving uh, God or, or a follower of Jesus when Jesus was on this earth, right? He was his half-brother. If your brother told you, hey, just so you know, I am the, the, the coming Messiah, I am king, you would look at him and say, you are a liar. That's what you are, Right? But then Jesus looks at James and says, hey, I'm going to die and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to come back from, from, the, from, from the dead. And then he did it and James suddenly became a believer, right? He didn't just become a believer. He actually became a leader of the church. He became a voice. He was a defender of his brother and now his king, right? His savior. Well, James had an opportunity to stay silent and let some struggle, some tension pass over him, but James couldn't stay silent. There was just some things he was going to stand on, and that was the truth, what he has seen, what he has heard. I don't know if you know this, but James, the way he came to death was at the pinnacle of the temple, the highest point of the temple, the same spot where Jesus was when he was tempted 
by Satan, and because he would refuse to stay silent, they pushed him off the temple. True story. He didn't die. He didn't die. He stands back up and begins to pray for other people, and then he's beaten to death. That's how James died. He could have chosen to stay silent, but he refused. And maybe you're saying, that's 2,000 years ago. That's a long time ago. That's a different era, a different place. Okay, consider Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor born in 1906, highly educated, in the doctoral program at 21 years old, publisher, author, theologian, just a brilliant mind, brilliant mind, pastoring a church in London where things are easier than the Nazi German Christian world that he comes from, feels this, this call to go back to his homeland and to serve his people, and to rise up against this movement in Germany, this Nazi movement in Germany. And so he does that, and he kind of starts this underground seminary, if you will, continuing to write, continuing to produce, continuing to teach, only to be imprisoned by the Gestapo, like the secret state police. A year after his imprisonment, he is transferred to a concentration camp, he continues to speak out. He continues to live boldly. He continues to tell of what he has seen and what he has heard and what he knows to be true. The night before he died, he said two precious things. Once, when he went to concentration camp, this is what he said. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Why would you want that? Why would you want to answer the call from God, if this is what it's going to be. The night before he was hanged, this is what Dietrich said. This is the end. But for me, it's the beginning of life. For me, life hasn't always been easy. When I felt God's call on my life, I had to make a decision. Am I going to go into the ministry? A career where you cannot pursue higher ranking, more money, fat living, nice cars. You can't do that. You're told not very nice things if you have some of those things in the ministry. You know, at one point, to be a pastor was a very prestigious role. Now I think it sits just about above a used car salesman. Not respected. People don't grow up wanting to be this, but it's certainly a call that God puts on our life, and when we have that call, we pursue it with everything we have. But being in the ministry can bring struggles and, and stuff. You, you tend to carry a lot of people's burdens. You tend to carry a lot of people's problems. You tend to be on the receiving end of harsh words, right? People can mistreat you, take your loyalty for granted. They can, they, you know, you give your trust away as if it's not worth much, only to be hurt in return. The ministry can be grueling. The ministry can be a tough life. I could have made more money being a UFC fighter, I'm sure. <laughs> but, but God called me into the ministry. I could have made more money, could have had nicer cars, could have had a better home. But God called me to be into the ministry. That's what he did for me. 
But life has been difficult. Life has surely had its hard times for me, personally for me. And if I wasn't serving Jesus, maybe some of those things I would have never had to face. What about the people in the room? Maybe you're sitting here today and you say, yeah, I've had some struggles in my life. Some of the biggest pains I've walked through have been during seasons of faithfulness. We did everything right. We prayed. We did what the book said. We followed what the Bible said. We, we just did things right, yet struggle came our way. Hardship came our way. Still to this day, some of you are fighting some of the greatest battles you've ever fought in your life while being a Christian. Why would you want to be a Christian? Why bring the extra tension into your life? Why not just avoid it? Why not just stay quiet? Why not just stay silent on some things for the sake of keeping peace? Well, you know as well as I do that sometimes it's just hard to stay silent on things you just have a deep conviction about. Today we're going to answer that question. Why is it worth keeping my faith in Jesus despite the hardship that comes with that? Our text for today is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14. If you wouldn't mind, stand to your feet. Find that in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 1, verse uh, 3 through 14. Find that in your Bible. I'll give you a moment as you find that. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, towards the end of the book. This is the only verses of the Bible that we will not have on the screen um, for you. And as you know, it's our custom to stand, not because it's right or wrong, but because we just honor the fact that God is speaking to us through his word. It's not my word that will change anybody's hearts today. It's absolutely God's word. Let's read. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Let's pray. Father, this morning, give us eyes to see, ears to hear what it is you have to say to us today. 
What I love most about you, God, is that you're so aware of the very detail of every person's life in this room. You are going to meet us at our point of need. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts and in our minds today. Speak to us. Speak life into us. Let it not be my words, but let it be yours. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone together said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And as you are seated, just as a point of, uh, just to let you know something that's beautiful, in the original language, the New Testament was written in Greek. This portion that we just read, verses 3 through 14, is actually one sentence in the Greek. It's a long run-on sentence, so we call it a breath of praise, a breath of praise. Can you imagine Paul is about to pen a letter to Christians in this in this in this minor Asia area, and before he gets into the letter, we're not in the letter yet, he introduces himself in verse 1, and then verses 3 through 14, he just kind of gives a quick praise to God before he writes his letter. It just comes from within him, and he says it all so fast, right? One big breath, and he says, all of that, and it just flowed from within him. You can see that he had an urgent message, and prior to writing the letter, he wanted to honor God for all that he has done. This is truly like the capstone of Paul's theology. It captures everything, and then next week we go into his prayer before he begins to write his letter. The question, why is it worth serving Jesus? Why is it worth serving Jesus? That's exactly what Paul answers in verses 3 through 14, and I want to walk with you as we go through all of that. So let's begin with verse chapter, uh, verse 3, excuse me, and it says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Every. To me, the word every sets this portion of the letter on fire. On fire. Can you just imagine if there was a different word in this place? Imagine, blessed us with one spiritual blessing or a few spiritual blessings. No, it doesn't say that. It actually says every. The word every in Greek, passe, meaning all. All. Every. It's amazing that everything we will read about, every blessing given to every follower of Christ is yours. You don't qualify for it. You don't purchase it. You don't earn it. They are your. If you are a follower of Christ and you are in this room today, every blessing that we talk about today is yours. And believe me, this is a breath of praise. If Paul would have written a song of praise, maybe there would have been many more blessings mentioned. For example, if I asked you today, think about in just a moment, what's one blessing that you consider in your life that comes from Jesus? What is that? What is that? Do you have that? Okay, so everything you thought of, the answer is yes, and that's not just for you. It's for everybody. Every spiritual blessing is for every follower of Christ. 
Spiritual blessing, what is that? The word blessing can be used as benefit. Like what are the spiritual benefits of followers of Christ? You know, the one true God, the God of the entire universe, the God that we have rebelled against has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And, and by the way, who, who, who is this for? The Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. This letter is written to followers of Christ. The audience of this letter is for Christians, followers of Christ. So if you are in the room today and you say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. First of all, this letter is for us. And secondly, every special blessing is for you, every single one of them. So what are the spiritual blessings? I mean, what, what is it, right? What's, what's the benefit for me? Let's begin. Verse chapter 4, first part of 4. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us. God loved us. How much did God love us? He loved us so much so that he gave his most precious child to die on a cross for our sin. I have a son. And if you have a son, think, would I do that? Probably not. I just love him too much. Why would I put him through that? God did that for you. God did that for me. He loved us that way. And listen, every follower of Christ, you need to know, we'll never know a love like his love. He loved us. He loved us. Before he even knew us, he loved us. Before he formed the world, he loved you. And he chose you. He chose you. Like... Do you have recess nightmares of when it was time to play Red Rover and there's two captains and they're about to pick teams? And you're just thinking, I just, I don't care if I'm first, I just don't want to be. Y'all know, y'all know. We got the same fears, right? They're dividing up for kickball. I don't care if I'm picked first, I just don't want to be picked last. I mean, I, I played competitive. Competitive freeze tag in high school. And I remember when they were picking teams, I didn't want to be, I didn't care if I was first, I just didn't want to be. With God, it's like this. I'll go to a basketball game, I show up, I got my, my shoes in my hand, I walk up to the basketball court, and before I can even strap on my shoes, God's saying, you, you're with me. I got him, I got him, you're on my team. I chose you. That's what it's like when you live your life for Jesus. He chose you. He knows your name. You're on his team. What a blessing. The second part of verse 4. In Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. This is how God sees us. In another translation, it says holy and blameless. This is hard to read. God sees you as positionally holy. Like, I know we're not holy. I know we're not blameless. But God sees you as holy. God sees you as blameless. Like through his lens, he sees something beautiful, unblemished, referencing the lamb. The lamb had to be unblemished to qualify for a sacrifice. God sees you as unblemished although we know we're very blemished. God sees you as holy. 
And our job in response to this is to pursue holiness. We pursue holiness as followers of Christ. Holy meaning set apart. We pursue to live life differently. And can I just say, people in and outside of the church have every right to expect changed behavior from followers of Christ. People in and outside of the church have every right to expect changed behavior from followers of Christ. We are to pursue holiness. Let's continue. Verse 5, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. I mean, just imagine the king showing up to an orphanage. You're an orphan in this orphanage, and the king of the, of the area in which this orphanage is walks into this orphanage, and he just points at you and says, I want him. I will take him home. I want to give him my name. I want to give him an inheritance. I want to take him home. Some of my dearest friends were adopted. One of my best friends growing up was adopted. His mom and dad provided for him. As a matter of fact, he's 40 years old now, and never has he needed parents like he needs them today. And they took full responsibility like a great parent does. Some of you have adopted children, and you've done a great job of stepping up to the plate. You've never once said, you know what, at any moment I can take you back. No, you took full responsibility full responsibility. I give you my name. I give you everything that I have. If we have other children, you all are the same in my eyes. God says the same thing to you. You are my child. You are my son. You are my daughter. I take full responsibility for you. Everything that I have is for you. You are adopted, my friend. You are not fatherless. You are not an orphan. Listen, even if you don't have a, bio, a, a physical father with you today, maybe one didn't step up to the plate and, and, and be your father, or maybe, you've let, you know, maybe your father's gone to be with the Lord, or maybe he's just passed, you still have a father today who loves you and cares for you. He's adopted you. He has said, you are mine. You're mine. Let's skip down to verse 7. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. More spiritual blessings. This one is purchased. He's purchased us. He's purchased us. The Greek word for purchase there is manumission, meaning setting someone free by paying a ransom. He paid the price for us. I have redeemed you with blood. Redeemed means purchased. I paid for you. I paid the price for you with the blood of my son. You are no longer a slave to sin is what we're saying this morning. You are no longer enslaved. You are no longer bound by strongholds. The chains truly have fallen because he has purchased you. He has bought you back. What a blessing. What a blessing. Who else can possibly do that for you? Who else was willing to do that for you? Who else did that for you? No one else can do that for you, my friend. Nobody else can do that for me. 
If you're a child of God this morning, if you are a follower of Christ, he has purchased you. If you're sitting in this room today and you're listening in on the conversation, and, and you know, you, listen, let me just tell you, this is one of the great benefits of being a follower of Christ is that your sins have been forgiven. You've been redeemed. You've been redeemed. Forgave our sins. Sin is when you miss the mark. Sin is when you screw up. Sin is when you know right and choose wrong. You know, one of the things that I love about my childhood is just how much I loved my dad. Still to this day, I love my dad. My dad's watching online this morning because he loves me and I love him. And some of my greatest regrets of being an adolescent are the times when I let him down, when I chose to ignore his guidance or rebelled against what he was trying to establish in me and in our home. I look back and it's disturbing to, to know that I did that. And those who are in Christ, those of us who say, I'm a follower of Christ, we don't love disobeying or disregarding God, our dad, our father. It doesn't bring us joy to disappoint him. You get to a place where you actually want to honor him because of all he's done for you. Those who are in Christ... We trust God because he's our father and we want to honor him. You know, have you ever just done something so horrible that you just hang your head in disbelief? I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that. One of the things that comes with pastoring is listening in on people's stories. People actually come to us and things are falling apart in their life. And some of the stories you hear are just sideways sideways we often carry the burdens of other people so i know this to be true the shame that comes with sin you know that my name the meaning of my name amos is a burden bearer my mom knew and when you become a follower of christ the more you tell of what you've seen and heard the more people are going to be able to trust you with what's happening in their life. You know this to be true. Let's continue. John 1, 9 says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. If you confess, if you repent, if you turn from your wickedness, he is faithful to forgive you. Verse 8, more blessings. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Showered. Think about the shower this morning. Saturated, sopping wet with kindness. Like God has poured his kindness on you. Although life has been difficult, you can look back at, at your life and say, he has been so good to me. 
Think of the coach when they win a big ball game and the players come and dump this Gatorade bottle, you know, this Gatorade bucket over their coach. Have that picture in your mind and just think that's what it's been like serving Jesus. Buckets of kindness, buckets of grace, buckets of kindness, buckets of grace, buckets of love just showered over me. Not sprinkled, not flickered, no, showered, drenched, sopping. I'm sopping wet with God's kindness. His goodness and his mercy has followed me all the days of my life. And that reference, it means actually like an old ancient army chasing you down. His goodness and his mercy is chasing you down. wisdom and understanding. One idea, two words. Sometimes we say, oh man, I just went with my gut. It wasn't your gut. It was God's wisdom in you. Man, you have good instincts when it comes to making decisions. That's not instinct, man. It's God's wisdom. It's God's wisdom. It's not coincidence. It's God's wisdom activated in your life. When you become a follower of Christ, he gives you wisdom. It's a spiritual blessing, not because you deserve it, just gives it to you he just gives it to you let's go verse 11 furthermore you mean there's still more I mean he's still in his breath of praise keep that in mind he's already listed out eight spiritual blessings that you can't purchase at Cubs and he says furthermore like there's still more to come because we are united in Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, there's still more. I'm not ready to pray yet. I'm not ready to pray yet. I still want to give you a few more. We have received an inheritance from God. He has given us an inheritance. You know what that is? Eternal life. Eternal life. Eternal life. Let me ask you a question. In real estate, there are three powerful words. What are they? We will all live forever. The only difference is location, 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 inheritance. Life may be difficult, and it is. We're not making light of that whatsoever. But the eternal promise for those who are followers of Christ is, for me, this is the beginning. You remember that? There's more to life. This life is worth living. But there's more to life. And we will all live forever. The only difference is location, location, location. Verse 12. Sorry, 13. And when you believed in Christ, again, if you are a follower of Christ, when you became a follower of Christ, all these blessings are for you. He identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. He marked you. He put his seal on you, marking you as his own. When you gave your life to Jesus, when you started your walk with Christ, he gave you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit living inside of you was a way of marking your life. It was a seal that said, he is mine. She is mine. You might ask, I wonder if the Holy Spirit is inside of me. Are you a follower of Christ? Yes, 
the Holy Spirit is inside of you. The moment you make a decision to surrender your life to Jesus and begin to walk with him, he gives you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit abides in you. And the Holy Spirit living in you is a seal from God saying, he belongs to me. She belongs to me. I have given him or her the Holy Spirit to empower her, to comfort her, to guide her, to coach her, to be her friend, to advocate for her, to defend her. That's a spiritual blessing that if you belong to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. My friend, if you're in the conversation and you have yet to surrender your life to Jesus, I hope that at this point of the service, you're starting to say, why am I not a follower of Jesus? I know there will be hardship. I know there will be struggle. But the blessings that come from being a son of God outweigh everything else that would keep me from full surrender to him. Next verse. The Spirit, God, the Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised. It's like he has this scanner over our hearts and he knows the Holy Spirit is inside of us. And once he hears the beep, it's yours. You've got what you need. Everything you need is inside of you, my friend. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. And it's a guarantee. In the Greek, that word guarantee is guarantee. Like, you can take it to the bank. Do you remember this a few weeks ago? We talked about spiritual gifts. Do you remember that? The difference from that message and this message is when it comes to spiritual giftings, they're not all for you. They're not all. If you're like me, you're just hoping there's at least one. There was 24 that we listed. There's more than that. Here's my spiritual gifting right here. As you can see, I'm out of place here at our church. It's worship, music, and singing. I don't know what y'all are waiting for. I shouldn't be preaching. I should be singing. Did you hear Rich this morning? That dude can't hold a mic next to me. I'm just kidding. This is my dream gifting. These are my last three. But the whole idea with spiritual gifts is you take an assessment and it surfaces the gifts that are inside of you, right? And then you go and develop them. And when you do these, they make you feel alive. Here's the difference. When it comes to spiritual blessings, if you are a follower of Christ, look what, look what all of them. Have I told you yet today that if you are a follower of Christ, every spiritual blessing that you can possibly think of or gather from the word of God is absolutely yours. Every single one of them. If you take the assessment, you'll get all of them. They'll all show up orange in your life. Like, yes, you are, you're going to have understanding, inheritance, Holy Spirit, guarantee, divine healing, protection, provision, mercy, counselor, friend, love, chosen, holy, blameless, adopted, grace, forgiven, purchase, kindness, wisdom, healer. Can you believe all these spiritual blessings are yours and they are mine. So you might ask, what's so good about being a follower of Christ? We are so blessed. How could we possibly do anything less? Maybe the better question Maybe the better question than this is really this. What can I do in response to God's blessing? 
Once you actually understand all that God has done for you, it does something in you to say, you know, God, what can I do for you? With all that you've done for me, you know, grace, that word grace is undeserved, unmerited favor of God. He has poured grace on us, undeserved, unmerited favor of God. You get to a place where you're like, God, what do you want with me? What, what do you want me to, what can I do? What can I do for you? Paul answers that question in Romans 12, verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, again, followers of Christ, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Second part of that verse, let them be a living and holy sacrifice set apart. Let your bodies, let your life be set apart, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. It's not just worship in this building, singing songs weekly for 25 minutes or so. It's good. Corporate worship is unbelievably powerful. But there is so much more to worship and how we live our life out there, that's really worship. So you might ask, the big so what? How do we put all of this together this morning? It's this. It's not come and worship. Say this with me. It's go and worship. It's not come and worship here. That's a beautiful thing. But, but, but then when you internalize it all and you make understanding of it all, then you realize it's actually go and worship. So our response today, let's live our life as praise to God. Come on, put your hands together this morning. You can feel his goodness. You can feel his goodness all over you, Lord. We thank you for this morning for your goodness and your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness and your redemption. We thank you, Father, for the work that you did on the cross with your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you. We are grateful today. Today we are challenged to not just bring our worship, but to go and worship despite our circumstances, despite our condition, despite our hardships, God. Let our lights reflect the goodness, the goodness of your love. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray together. Everybody said.